the Adam Crowley Show. Love you, 970 ESPN. It's, it's Adam a, Crowley, I think it is. He's a good guy. He really is. He's a good host. I enjoy being, you know, and now we're talking about a weekly spot on the show. And I'm just telling Adam, I better be picked. Freebies are up. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. It is debate day. 7.30. Tequila Cowboy. Me. Stan. Madden. Benz. Pursuta. Alcohol. Be there. Now I'm going to get drunk. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Apparently Madden's been using this debate as content. He called me out, said that nobody's going to show up to see me. He then went on to say I'm a good young host. Second part's true. I know my army of snowflakes will be there. Dressed in white, cheering for me. I'm going to be the champ. I know how to debate. I also know that I'm not going to give a rip once I get up there, which means bad words are going to come out of my mouth. I'm going to say terrible things about Tim Benz's mom. I'm going to call out Mike Pursuta's bad hip. I'm not going to pull any punches. Except for Stan. One, because he's a gentle giant. And two, sometimes when you poke the gentle giant, you get bitch slapped. And I'm okay with getting bitch slapped by Benz. I'm okay with getting bitch slapped by any of the other people up there. But you get dunked on by the old man, it's going to hurt. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. It is my Friday! Which means that I'm off the next two days. I will be watching college basketball, eating pizza, and getting drunk. I gained most of my weight from the beginning of the year until the end of March Madness. Because every time I try to diet, something comes up. You got football. You got the Super Bowl. You got March Madness. You got the hockey playoffs beginning. I just drink when all those things happen. And you eat like a monster. It's not good for me. But that's what I'll be doing the next couple of days, so you're not going to hear from me. So I've got to get all my takes in today. I've got to get everything out. I've got to get you all the information you need in your bracket or otherwise. And one of the ways we've decided to do this, my intrepid producer Tom Offerman and I said, we need the questions for the debate. Let's do a little primer. Let me practice for what I'm going to say during this great Pittsburgh sports debate tonight. You can know the questions. You don't know what Stan's going to say. You don't know what Ben's is going to say. You don't know what Pursuit is going to say. If Tom just asks me the questions, I'll give you my answers now. And then you can get the debate portion later. It's like a pregame show to the great Pittsburgh sports debate. The other reason we did this is because I'm lazy and prepared absolutely nothing for the show. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. In fact, you don't even know if this hour's taped or not. You don't even know if I'm live. I'm live, though. Jesse Marshall's calling in. Coming up in 16 minutes on the Crowley Show. We'll be talking to him about the Penguins Rangers tonight, which will be on at Tequila Cowboy, or at better. Uh, What kind of planning is that? 
Tequila Cowboy opens their doors, but on the night of a Penguin game? So whatever I'm talking about hockey-wise is going to be dated by the time it comes out of my mouth. I can be talking about how Daniel Broussard, his name is Derek, and he stinks tonight, and then he could score a goal. You never know. All right, Tom, hit me with the first of the great Pittsburgh sports debate questions. I'm ready to rock. Now, are you, you ready? Doing, are you doing these randomly? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm just going to kind of take them out of the hat here. Okay, let's do it. Are you ready? You yeah. ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Mm. It's debate time, everybody, and let's start here. Adam, as everybody knows, you host the post-game show for the Steelers after every single game. Yeah. My question to you, Le'Veon Bell, franchised again, missing OTAs, probably missing camp, said he was going to be there for week one, but then he later said he might not be there till week four. Who's right in this standoff? The Steelers with their 13.3 mil offer, or Lave Bell holding out for what he thinks he's worth? I think the music was too loud. I think it overpowered your question. I wanted it to, though. It's oh. a very overpowering question. Oh, okay. Don't please don't respond to the proctor like that. Just I'm sorry. Questions. I'm sorry. Thank you. Is there a time limit on this? No, you can. I can the just floor go. Is yours. I can vacillate. On. Okay, I'm going to expound. I don't think anybody's to blame. I don't think the Steelers are to blame for offering Le'Veon Bell just over thirteen million dollars. It's a hell of a lot of money, more than any running back in football is making. I don't think that Le'Veon Bell is wrong for wanting to be paid more than any running back in the National Football League. And then you consider his draft slot. In 2014, there are 15 players being paid $14.5 million to $16.5 million. From that draft class alone, Le'Veon Bell not one of them. If you go year by year, and you talk about the money that a player is going to make in that given year. Le'Veon Bell is now, what, the 50th highest paid player in the National Football League, according to our friend Dale Lally? Le'Veon Bell wants to be valued, and he wants to be valued what he feels like he's valued. Now, can the Steelers pay that? Absolutely not. That's why they're not wrong. But Le'Veon's not wrong either, because somebody could pay it. The Browns could pay it. If he was out there on the open market, at least one team would pay it. So that is his value. It's just not his value with the Steelers. Therefore... Neither the Steelers are wrong, nor Le'Veon Bell's wrong. Bam! That's how you debate! Is there another part to that question, or did I nail it all? No, that was it. Is that, no, is that the it. rest of your answer? I crushed it, yeah. All right, Adam. Let's switch things up to the Penguins now. This Penn's defense, man. It's in trouble. They're down to seven available for the rest of the season and the playoffs. And there's no one coming from Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Was it a mistake to trade Ian Cole? Or was getting Derek Broussard worth leaving the defense a bit shallow? Great question, Proctor. Fabulous job by you. Solid reading. Maybe you should host tonight instead of Bob McLaughlin, who did put the questions together. Yeah, you don't have to even think. You just get to read them. Makes it easier for you. No, the Penguins didn't make a mistake going out and signing Derek Broussard. Trading for. Not a mistake at all. Last year, didn't the Penguins win the Stanley Cup without Chris Letang? If you won the Stanley Cup without Chris Letang, you can win the Stanley Cup with Ian Cole not in the lineup. You can win the Stanley Cup with this Penguins defense core. Since Chad Ruedel has flexed into the lineup, they've been much better. I like him on that bottom pair with Ole Mata. I think the Penguins have spread themselves out well enough now that they can have a good defenseman on every single line. Chad Ruedel's going to play within himself. They're going to be fine. 
on that defensive side. And we saw against Dallas, the forwards came back and helped. They put the puck in the right spots. They played away. They played well away from the puck. If the forwards do that and they score goals, the clip that they're scoring goals at, it does not matter if the defense is a little bit porous. Not to mention, Chris Latang's going to play 30 minutes a game. You're really going to only play your top four for most of the time. So the Penguins are okay. If an injury happens, eh, it's going to suck. But no injury that they're going to face is going to be like the injury that they faced last year with Chris Latang going down. Unless, of course, Chris Latang goes down. How's that one, Tom? You don't have to ask me about your answers. Just give your answer, and then I'll score them accordingly. Well, you haven't scored the first one yet. I'll give that one about 50 points. Okay. You were tabulating it while I was giving the second answer? Yes. So you weren't paying attention to my second answer? No, the second answer got 100 points. Yeah, second answer was just fire. Straight fire. All right, this will be our first question relating to the Pirates. Adam, love the show, mm. but a whole lot of people in Pittsburgh don't love baseball right now. Should Pirate fans support their team by going to games this season or buying into the brand, or are they just aiding and abetting Nutting's plan of making the most money he can regardless of the product on the field? Here's what Pirate fans don't know. It's that Bob Nutting, no matter what the attendance is, is going to come out on top in terms of making money. If the Pirates' attendance is bad, he's not going to put the money into the team, and he's still going to come out ahead as it relates to the bottom line. So by not showing up, that's what I'd do. You're hurting them to an extent, but I think you ultimately will affect the product in the field at least a little bit. I'm an Indians fan now, though, man. I'm rooting for the Windians because that's a team that puts money into the team as opposed to just pocketing the money like we all know Bob Nutting does. The Indians went out. And they added some pieces the last couple of years. They got Jay Bruce. They got Edwin Encarnacion. They got Miller, that fabulous reliever. And they almost won the World Series when they were banged up. They would have won the World Series. They were up three games to one had they been healthy. Didn't happen. Then they went out and they tried to strengthen their club. What do you see the Philadelphia Eagles doing right now? They've got a great defensive line. They've already added a couple of defensive line pieces. Why? Because even whenever you're at the pinnacle, or you're close to the pinnacle, you can still get better. You can still add to your team. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, they never, ever, ever effing do that, ever. So I would not go to the Pirates games this year. I would not show up for opening day. Most of you are starting to get that message. It's a Pirates mutiny. Arr! F them. They're not even worth watching on TV, and maybe that's where you could hurt them. The AT&T Sportsnet does a good job, like the guys they have calling the game. Love Stan, love Rob King, good people, fine people, they're tremendous people. But, don't watch. Hurt the Pirates at the gate, hurt the Pirates' TV ratings, and say F you. Let them know that, for once, Pittsburgh ain't going to put up with the shenanigans. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Andrew does. Yes, this question. Will the Pittsburgh debate be live on Facebook? Absolutely, it will not be. Because here's the deal, Andrew. I'm going to say bad words. Not a lot of bad words. I think that there are two areas I can improve upon from last year's great Pittsburgh sports debate, Tom. A, not drink as much because I peed 
like 15 times and I had to, had to kept leaving the stage to go pee. That's a bad look. Then there was like 15 bottles around where I was sitting. Uh, not a great look. And two, I got to not say the F word as much as I did last year. I was the drunk guy saying the F word every other word. And I think part of the charm for these things is we can just be ourselves. And that is me, but it might be a little too me for that setting. But that's why it's not going to be on Facebook. Last year, I said Ron Cook's head looked like a testicle or something like that. No offense to Crook. Maybe this year I'll say something about phony. But we don't want these things getting out there. It's only going to get us in trouble. Braden tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. You're going to wipe the floor with everyone. You're a master debater. You're damn right I'm a master debater. I'm a master of my own domain. And I've already got the questions. We know them. And I'm rehearsing right now for all to hear on the Crowley Show. You ready for another one? Oh, daddy. Let's hit it. Oh, daddy. Adam. It's no secret that the Steelers had one of the league's most prolific offenses this season with Todd Haley as the offensive coordinator. But newsflash, he's gone. He's in Cleveland now. Good move, bad move, letting Todd Haley walk out the door. You do what your franchise quarterback wants you to do. Ben Roethlisberger has said and now has told ownership and the general manager in the front office, the Pittsburgh Steelers, that he wants to be around for at least three more years for the remainder of his contract. I wonder if he'd want to be around if Todd Haley were there. You do what you can to make the quarterback happy. Last year, he said on that show with Crook and Phony, I think I might retire here. Now the offensive coordinator gets let go. He walks out the door. Contract, not re-up. And all of a sudden... Ben Roethlisberger's like, yeah, sign me up for three more. That's all you got to know. Hell yeah. Hell to the yeah. That was a good move. I think they needed to get rid of one coordinator. Keith Butler has seen the defense improve every year, but they regressed at the end of the year after Ryan Shazier got hurt. But you're not going to fire both. And if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't want the offensive coordinator, you get rid of that guy. Keep the defensive coordinator. Keep some level of continuity, right move to do exactly what they did. I'll give you like 800 points for that. It's pretty solid. Oh, it's pretty solid stuff. Man, it's even better than the last one. I think we got time to squeeze in one more before the break. You think so? I think so. All right, squeeze it in. So let's squeeze this one squeeze in Squeeze it in, Daddy. We'll go with Pitt. Everyone's favorite darling in town. What is... This is a multiple choice question, by the way. Oh. What is the biggest Pitt athletics blunder of the past 10 years? No. Oh. Firing wants that. Letting Dixon go, or the whole hiring and firing Kevin Stallings? That's a really good question, because the last Thank two... You. ...really brings up a philosophical, internal struggle that I've had. I think Jamie Dixon's a hell of a coach. Hell, he took an awful program. Awful, 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 awful program in TCU. Made them NIT champs last year. Now they're a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. First time they've been there since the 80s. So he's a damn good coach. Things were a little stale. I don't mind so much them letting him walk. I wouldn't have done it, but I don't mind it. But Kevin Stallings being the guy that you hire, that's a disaster. And that's all on Scott Barnes. So I think that's been the bigger F-up. 
Because this was a program that went to the NCAA tournament in Jamie Dixon's last year. You just needed to get someone competent, and they'd have been fine. Stallings, not competent. They effed that up, Scott Barnes. So your answer is Stallings? The hiring and firing of Kevin Stallings. I think I made that pretty clear. Well, it's wrong. It's the firing of Dave Wonstadt, so mm. you no points. Damn it. So I think I got 950 thus far. I think so. Around there. I'm rolling, baby. Let's see if he can break 1,000. Up next, maybe we'll take this call. And we got Jesse Marshall from The Athletic. Should we ask him to bake questions? We shall see. It's The Crowley Show. Tonight's the night. Great Pittsburgh sports debate. I need all my snowflakes out in full force, baby. We got to make that a hostile place to play for Mark Madden and Stan Saverin and Tim Benz and Mike Pursuta. I need that place rocking. Pretty sure my mom's going too, which is kind of weird. But you nobody else will have their mom there. My mom still thinks because I'm somewhat new to radio that it's like me playing in a soccer game. Or like a chorus concert. But it's my job. I also have Tom and Joe squirting water into my mouth between segments. Wiping me down. Kind of sounded dirty. Jesse Marshall from The Athletic joins me now here on The Crowley Show. Hello, Jesse. How are you? Is Tom getting a raise for this? No, of course not. This is just what nah. Tom has to do. This is... Yeah, this is just... Yeah, it's Tom in his description. Straw, I guess. Just through the short straw. Yeah, Tom, would you rather wipe me down or squirt it in my mouth? Both. At the same time. Okay, very good. Jesse Marshall, The Athletic, joining me here on The Crowley Show. Uh, Jesse, Alexander Ovechkin scored his 600th goal the other day, and I don't think he gets the respect he deserves because, oh, he doesn't have any cups, and oh, he never gets past the second round. But how do you rank him among current players for the career that he's had? And I, I feel like you'll give him the respect he deserves. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't care what you want to do as far as era adjusting stats or, like, you want to pretend Ovechkin played in the 80s, you want to pretend that Lemieux and Gretzky played in the 2000s. That doesn't matter to me. Guy's got 600 goals. He's, he, we have watched, collectively, the hockey community, we have watched Alex Ovechkin be the greatest goal scorer of the modern hockey era, uncontested no two ways about it. You can hate him as a player. You can think he's dirty. You can remember his knee on Gonchar. You can hate the Capitals. I encourage that stuff. Uh, that's <laughs> fine. That's what, that's what being a fan is all about. Uh, but I think you got to separate it and really look at it and say, like, my goodness, this is still a player that kind of makes you sit on the edge of your seat every time he comes yes. rushing down the wing. Still makes you sit on the edge of your seat when he's sitting in that circle in the power play. Um, you know, he... I think paved the way for a lot of guys to come through this league, like Patrick Wine, where their game is just about what they can do with their shot, what they can do with that flex. Um, and and there's a role for guys like that now. I think a different role for guys like that based on Alex Ovechkin's success. So, yeah, I mean, modern best best scorer of our generation as far as pure goals is concerned. He scored 65 goals in a season. It's just yeah. mind-boggling that that guy could do that, that anybody could do that. Now, whenever you think about the new quote-unquote dead puck era, it's just insane. Would you take Malkin over Ovechkin if you were building a team from scratch? No. No, okay. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, 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 I probably would have. 
I spent an inordinate amount of time, Adam, watching that. That at the time it wasn't called the KHL; it was called the Russian Super League. I spent an inordinate amount of. This is back when I did draft rankings like crazy, and I watched those two players, and I really thought Ovechkin could be the better of the two because of that goal scoring prowess. But I think you have to give a nod, a nod to what Evgeny Malkin's done this year defensively. I think he's a more complete player than he was when he came into the league. I think his ability to create plays is on a level that Ovechkin will never be at. Uh, I think he's the perfect complement to a guy like Sidney Crosby. Uh, I think you could start a franchise with Evgeny Malkin. You, you don't need a Sidney Crosby. You could start a franchise with the guy, and he'd be just as well for it. So I personally would take Malkin. And I only say that because center is a totally different position than wing, and it's tough to turn down a guy that can score 65 goals. But if you look at, at what you need out of the center position to be a successful hockey club, if I was starting a franchise, I would go with that with a center over the wing any day of the week. Jesse Marshall from The Athletic joining me here on the Crowley Show. I agree with all that. Uh, how much are the Capitals' failures his fault? Because I think a lot of that gets dumped on his shoulders, and he doesn't deserve all of it, certainly. Well, the well's dried up for him a couple times. I think you, you know, whether that's luck-based or whether that's just symptomatic of the team as a whole, it might be tough to parse that out. But there's definitely been portions of time where he's gone into a playoff series against the New York Rangers and come away empty-handed. And uh, anytime you're a star player, and this is true for Ovechkin, it's true for Patrick Kane, it's true for Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and it's true for every star player in this league. And you, if the well dries up for them in the playoffs, you're hard-pressed to win the series. So, you know, at the Capitals as a whole, their failures, I think, go well beyond just him. I think he took a lot of slack, especially last season, especially considering the injury he was playing with Adam. I mean, you remember saw the pictures on Twitter after that series was over. Uh, Ovechkin's hamstring was basically mm-hmm. a, a wet Kleenex. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't put it all on his shoulders. I, mean, I think the Capitals, I think their, their quote-unquote all-in was never quite all-in enough. They made some really bad decisions, especially if you look at that Brooks Orpik contract. Can't blame Alex Ovechkin for that. Um, yeah, I don't think all of their failures, failures are his fault, but I definitely think there have been playoff runs that left a little bit to be desired from him. Uh, but winning a Stanley Cup is a team thing, and I, I think that the Capitals made some poor decisions um, in their runs, and I, I think ultimately that affected everybody. Jesse Marshall from The Athletic joining me here on the Crowley Show. That series between the two clubs in 2009, Jesse, to me, was at everyone at the top of their game. Uh, they all were at the top of their powers, and it was just fabulous hockey to watch. Every time Alexander Ovechkin crossed the blue line, uh, I just know that I wanted to throw up, and I think that's a compliment. Uh, he was just unbelievable, and I don't think he's as dynamic as he was then. It, it, his whole style, to me, is just so fabulous to watch. Uh, the way he's kind of a choppy skater, the way he'll throw his body around. It's amazing to me that he's played 97% of his team's regular season games throughout the years. I, I don't understand how that's even possible. It's definitely changed for him, because I think back to the goals he scored during the regular season in his first year and his second year, where he was laying on the ice and you know turning his stick over his head on the ice to score goals from his backside. Uh, there was a little bit more of an explosive element. Yeah, that's a perfect word. They, they more dangerous on on breakaways and stuff. I think you could look back at that and say like there was just something there. That's a product of youth. I mean, even Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't see him doing those things anymore. He's thirty now. You know what I mean? In his thirties, it's not going to happen the way it used to happen. Uh, and Crosby and Ovechkin have evolved their games as necessary. Uh, but I think back to that series, the thing that will always stand out to me is that dueling hat trick game 
uh, and how the Penguins really had no business losing it. Uh, Semyon Varlamov, although the fact that he did allow a significant amount of goals in that game actually stood on his head. Uh, and uh, that, the back and forth between Crosby and Ovechkin in that series was just something to behold. And then that Game 7 annihilation uh, to this day will probably go down in history as uh, you know, one of my favorite Game 7s to watch of all time. Marc-Andre Fleury got his 400th win the other day as well, Jesse. How do you look at his career? This is a nice time to kind of reflect on a couple of the uh, players that we've really grown up watching now. Well, I think Marc-Andre Fleury's career is really, I segment it into three sections. So I segment it, the first section is the section where the Penguins were just bad. They weren't good at all. And the only reason you went to, to Civic Arena or Mountain Arena at the time was to watch Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, I think back to his first game against the Los Angeles Kings where the poor guy just got absolutely assaulted and still walked out the first start of the game having allowed a couple goals because he stood on his head all night long. So, And then I think from there you you go into the Penguins winning the Cup in 2009. I think that's kind of where that era ends. He went through a lot of struggles after that. The middle portion of his career wasn't the greatest. Uh, Statistically speaking, it wasn't the greatest. He lost his job to Tomas Lacoon. Uh, at one point in the Penguins' uh, run to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bruins. Um, but it, this last third has been really good. It's been really good. Starting with the playoff run uh, uh, last year, uh, go back to the Mike Johnston era and the transition between Johnston and Sullivan. The only reason the Penguins made the playoffs in 2016 was because of Marc-Andre Fleury. And now he's doing it with Vegas and an expansion team. So he's getting better with age. It almost seems... You know, counterintuitive, but uh, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, this season for him is unequivocally, I think, the best season he's ever had and not really showing a whole lot of signs of slowing down. I know everybody, 400 wins is impressive, Adam. I don't care. It's a team stat, yes. It's a team stat. And Marc-Andre Fleury has not always had save percentages and, and, and averages that are in the top 10 of the league. But you don't win 400 games by accident. And, I, and, and again, a lot of those games he won – uh, in the hundreds, I would say, were when the Penguins were just a really bad hockey team. So don't take that away from him. And I get it, team stat, he's not responsible for all 400 of those wins. Uh, but he he definitely stole a bunch of them that he shouldn't have in those early years with the Penguins. Yeah, I always look at that the same way I look at longevity, Jesse. People knocked Jerome Bettis for getting into the Hall of Fame, and I kind of did too based on his statistics. But people said, well, he only racked up as many yards as he did because he played for so long. Well, yeah, but he played for so long because he was valued and they wanted him on their team. Marc-Andre Fleury won all those games because he was a goaltender capable of doing it. So I think knocking him for that is a little bit silly. Uh, Jesse, has Malkin ever played better? I know 2009, the playoffs, you're probably not going to ever top that. But uh, let's say aside from that, has he ever played better? Maybe a brief... Okay, I'm going to say no. Because the answer I was going to give you was there was a brief stretch in the lockout shortened season where he was as unbeatable as he is now, but it didn't last as long. Um, it, it was more brief. So, yeah, it, this is it. Sergey Gonchar said... They, we asked him this question this week at The Athletic, and a guy who knows Malkin probably better than, than just about anybody, and his answer the same, was the same. He doesn't think so. Um, outside of that 2009 Cup run, probably hasn't seen him uh, this dominant uh, since that time. And, and you know, the longer this goes on, because, you know, really, I think when the heat turned up for him was right around the turn of the calendar year on January 1st, uh, and it hasn't stopped. So we're, we're now two months into this sort of reign of dominance uh, 
where he's accrued more points in 2018 than most teams' top scorers for the season. <laughs> and that's just, that's just absurd. I'm sorry. It's just crazy to me. Uh, and, and we're not getting any indication it's going to stop anytime soon. And, and this trio of Hagelin, Malkin, and, and Hornquist is just continuing to be almost unplayable at times. Why do they work so well together? Space. They create space. Uh, broke down a lot of video on The Athletic of this this week because you always hear that term, like what does it mean to create space? Uh, Mike Sullivan put this trio together because he wanted Evgeny Malkin to be the guy to take the initiative and to shoot. Uh, I think his goal was uh, completely realized when he put them together with, with Hagelin and, and Hornquist because those guys are, first of all, it's, it's really difficult to win loose puck battles against them because A, they're so fast, right? But B, they position themselves in the boards uh, one-on-one or, or even three-on-one. We had three-on-one video on the Athletic of Hornquist going against three New York Rangers and coming out with the puck somehow. That shouldn't happen. Uh, that's not supposed to be the way that that works. Uh, and those two guys are just so good at playing down low that they, they almost act like magnets, Adam. If you want to think of it this way, when they're, when they're down low, and they're doing the work in the front of the net and behind the net and in the corners. The defense is magnetized to them, right? You have to respect those guys that are a threat in the deep offensive zone. And when they get magnetized to Hornquist and Malk, or Hornquist and, uh, and Hagelin, that leaves Evgeny Malkin open. And you would think any team with a brain is, is going to say, we have to protect 71, we have to keep 71 out of this. Uh, but once Hornquist and Hagelin get going, you know, that's where the focus shifts. The focus shifts that we got to win this puck battle first, and then we can worry about everything else. And, and they just don't allow you to do that. They don't allow you to pay attention to what's going on behind you and have your head on a swivel. It, it takes just about everything out of a defenseman to win a puck battle. They're not the most skilled guys in the world. Uh, they're, they're not danglers. They're not elite. Uh, you know, elite uh, puck movers, uh, but they do the, the, the thankless jobs that, that create room for Evgeny Malkin to do the things that he's great at. Jesse, do you have faith in Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari? Jim Rutherford does, so I guess I do too. Um, I probably would have answered yes anyway. I think that what you're getting out of those two now is the, the hiccups. You, know, you get the great performances, right? I mean, and even Casey DeSmith. Uh, just the other night was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, but you get the hiccups, right? You get the, the goals like the one against Jari and the New York Islanders two weeks ago. Um, I, I think they got to get rid of those a little bit. I mean, they're going to come with playing time. You think about Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg, right? Connor Hellebuck, when he was in Winnipeg for the last couple of years, it took him a long time to get to this point where he is now the clear-cut number one uh, who's having an absolutely unbelievable season. I think, I think especially a guy like a Tristan Jari with that pedigree, they, they have that in them, both he and Casey DeSmith, but they're so young. You know, and, and in Pittsburgh, we're used to guys like Marc-Andre Fleury having success immediately. Matt Murray having success immediately. That's not the way it works for goalies. Uh, it's a long path to success more often than not, and uh, that's a path that both Jari and DeSmith are on right now, and I have... I've, the utmost space they'll get there, and I think by the time the playoffs come around, a lot of those those cobwebs and, and a lot of that rookie rust is going to be shaken off, and, and they'll be they're both capable of being good backups. Jesse, seven thirty tonight, Tequila Cowboy, come squirt water in my mouth. <laughs> I'm going to watch the Penguins Rangers game uh, from the comfort of my own home, and, and I only am going to do that, Adam, because I have the utmost space in Tom. That's a good answer. Goodbye, yeah. Jesse. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thank you.
There he goes, Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. I love the way he signs off, by the way, every single time. Very curt. Very economical. Very concise. Brevity, I've been told, is the soul of wit. Have still never really been able to master that. Coming up next, we have some breaking news as it relates to the Steelers, and I'll continue to rehearse for tonight's great Pittsburgh sports debate. It's the Crowley Show. We interrupt our regularly scheduled program for this breaking news update on ESPN Pittsburgh. If you've been around in the Steelers' secondary for a while, you're not part of the Steelers' secondary anymore. Gone officially is Mike Mitchell. Gone officially is William Gay. And the most surprising, gone officially, Robert Golden. That takes... $8.23 $8.23 million in salary off the books for this season. It gives the Steelers $7.7 million in available cap space. That's with Le'Veon Bell's salary being counted. So, for those of you out there, and we've gotten a bunch of tweets and calls, and I've got friends who freaked out about this, who have lost your mind about the Steelers not being able to add anybody of significance in free agency and keep Le'Veon Bell, you're wrong. You see, the Gays, the Goldens, the Mitchells of the world, they can all be replaced very easily. They didn't provide much last year to the Steelers. Robert Golden's a great special teams guy, but you can find that guy out there on the cheap anyway. Uh, William Gay, eh, whatever, you've got Cody Sensabaugh to step into that role. Mike Mitchell played hurt, but he wasn't good enough for the Steelers last year. You're not losing a lot in terms of talent. If the Steelers now want to, they can go out and they can sign an inside linebacker for 4 or $5 million, a guy who can replace... Not for real, but replace in the lineup Ryan Shazier. And then they can use the rest of that money to sign the rookies. That's it, man. That's fine. That's okay. They'll be fine. They'll probably find a way to finagle some more cap room here as well. So for everyone out there who said, you need to get rid of Le'Veon in order to keep some good players and sign some other good players, that's not true. The Steelers can go out and give somebody a Mike Mitchell-type contract, which means a starter can be had for $5 million a season, and you can keep the best running back in football. That's what you do. That's a slam dunk. I will bitch-slap everyone with that take tonight at the Great Pittsburgh Sports Debate. Speaking of the great Pittsburgh sports today, let's pick things up again, shall we? Mm. Adam, Evgeny Malkin, he's playing some of the best hockey of his career. But, you know, people forget this is a guy that's won the Hart, the Art Ross, mm. the Calder, the mm. Ted Lindsay, mm. and the Conn Smythe. Is this the best hockey of his entire career? Absolutely, it is the best hockey he's played in the regular season. Evgeny Malkin played very well in 2012-2013 when he won the National Hockey League's MVP trophy by scoring 50 goals. I think he's been even better this year. He has carried the Penguins. In the second half of the season, he's averaged a paltry 1.77 points per game. Evgeny Malkin's playing the best regular season hockey of his career, and I don't think there's a question about it. The best hockey of his career, though? 
was played in 2008 and 2009 in the playoffs. Malkin played in 24 games, had 14 goals, 22 assists. That's 36 points in 24 playoff games. Do you know who's had more points than Evgeny Malkin in a playoff run? More points than he did in that playoff run? Lemieux and Gretzky. That's it. So that's the best that Evgeny Malkin played. He had 100 shots in those 24 games played. The dude was just absolutely on fire. He was taking the puck away a bunch. He blocked 12 shots. Unbelievable. Also led the playoffs in takeaways with 27. That's the best hockey he's ever played. As we just heard, based on the news that you broke, Mike Mitchell's gone. He's not a Steeler anymore. What's the verdict on his time here? Is he a locker room leader and good fit for the team, or was he just a loudmouth jackass who was more often a distraction? I see there will be no room for nuance in the great Pittsburgh sports debate tonight. Doesn't look like it. it doesn't look like doesn't it. Doesn't look like it at all. you got to come with your takes, man. But let me be the guy who's about the nuance, all right? Let me try to be something different. We don't got a lot of that in this town. I'll be nuanced guy. Mike Mitchell played really well when healthy. Really well. He does not get the credit that he deserves for as good of a player as he is when he's healthy. Unfortunately for Mike Mitchell, he's been unhealthy far too often. This last year, he was unhealthy all season long. He really didn't practice very much in training camp because of his injury. He didn't play well. And then he was a loudmouth jackass about it. So I think it's a little column A, a little column B. Had he been healthy this last year, Perhaps he's still a Pittsburgh Steeler going into next year. Unfortunately, didn't happen. I'm going a little of both, which I know is lukewarm, but I'll call it nuance. Hell yes. What's nuance get? What grade nuance get? 1,400 points. Yes! You broke 1,000. Yes! That's an SAT word right there. Nuance? Yeah. How about I drop finagle in the last one? Make sure you drop these words tonight at the actual debate. You'll impress a lot of people. Is it finagle or finangle? I, I don't know. I might have to leave that one at home. Oh, my gosh. Nuance, though. <laughs> that's the one I can bring. Adam, the Pirates were 75-87. and 87, 17 games out of a playoff spot last season. Will their 2018 record be better or worse than last year? And how much better or how much worse? Whoa. Weren't those the worst questions in school? Like the math problems whenever you'd be like, find your solution and show your work. And show the work. I think they're going to be right on the nose. How's that for nuance and not taking a side? Okay, I can't do that. That'll get me booed off the stage tonight at the Great Pittsburgh Sports Debate. I think they're actually going to be a little bit better. How about that? I like the bullpen a lot. I think that the rotation has potential, although that's a word that's thrown around all the damn time with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I actually like their lineup a little bit more this year. Is it okay to say that? You hope Cervelli can stay healthy, but you get the guy from Tampa who last year was better than Andrew McCutcheon. He's a better hitter right now, if you go off last year's statistics, than Andrew McCutcheon. You got Colin Moran. I think that they'll be a little bit better. Do I think they'll contend for a playoff spot? No. Hell no. But around the deadline, they'll still be in it because they're just average enough to 
be right around 500 in August. Their lineup is definitely better than last year, mm. but you win games with pitching, not a lineup. In Bullpen's baseball, great. So. Bullpen's great. It's just getting to the bullpen, though. That's the problem with them. There's nothing I hate more than prediction radio. What if Dickerson blows out his knee game one, knock on wood? What if Glass now becomes the next Randy Johnson? Like oh, my God. They could so. win it. Right? They could win the whole that's thing. All, that's the missing piece right there. That is. If Glass now's the Glass now that they thought he was when he was Glass now back then. Look out. Then this Glass now can take the Pirates to the glass ceiling. It's no secret, Adam, that Matt Murray is a two-time Stanley Cup winner. But in each of those cups, he's had Marc-Andre Fleury backing him up, and now he doesn't. We know Matt Murray is good enough to win the cup, because like I said earlier, he did it twice. Are Jari and DeSmith good enough backups? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. I think it's easier to play goalie in the playoffs than it is in the regular season. You want a hot take? That's a take. I'm wow. coming out of the box steaming with that take. Now, mentally, obviously, it's a lot bigger of a challenge. Uh, just ask the Ilya Brzgalovs of the world. Marc-Andre Fleury battled some of his own demons. How about Bobrovsky, who every year, one of the best goalies in the league, poops down his leg when he gets to the playoffs. Mentally, it's a challenge. Brayden Holpe has had issues, I think, with the Penguins. That's the problem. Because these guys can stop the puck. If it's just from a pure hockey standpoint, I think it's easier to play goalie in the playoffs because you're going to have players blocking shots. They're going to insulate you. Everything's closer checking out there. Goals per game goes down. Shots per game goes down. I think it actually becomes easier. I think these two players are good enough to play playoff hockey, and hopefully you don't need them for very long, but they can come in and win a game. Need I remind you, Jeff Zatkoff won a playoff game for the Penguins two years ago when they won the Stanley Cup. He actually carried the Penguins to that victory, having 35 saves in that hockey game. If Jeff freaking Zatkoff can stand on his head, if Jeff freaking Zatkoff can win a playoff game, then I have no, 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 no qualms about the fact that Casey DeSmith or Tristan Jari could do it. If I was ranking those two, and they'll probably ask me to do that on the Great Pittsburgh Sports Debate tonight. I would put Tristan Jari more in the Murray class in terms of pedigree, because he does have a bleep ton of pedigree, than Casey DeSmith's more of a Jeff Zatkoff. Smaller guy. But I think they're both capable. All right, last question for this round. What is the state of pit football and pit basketball three years from now and then five years from now? Is it A, they're both better, B, football is better but basketball is worse, or C, basketball is better, football is worse, and Narduzzi is gone? Well, the Commonwealth of pit football will remain Pennsylvania. But I think the state of pit football will stay the same. And I think pit basketball will get better. You can't get any worse. All you got to do is win one game to get better. They'll get better. Pit football, they, this is who they are. They'll win eight games and they'll win five. They'll win eight games and they'll win five. I don't care who the coach is. That's what's going to happen. Boom shakalaka. All right, now let's go ten years from now. Pennsylvania.
Up next, Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette to talk about the Steelers' secondary getting nuked. It's the Crowley Show.